so when you talk to people about faith, when you talk to them about Christianity or maybe you invite them to church, uh, have you ever heard anyone say, oh, I don't want anything to do with the church because it's full of hypocrites? Ever heard anyone say that? Yeah. Have you ever thought that yourself about organized religion, like the church is full of hypocrites? You could, yeah, yeah, maybe sometimes I see a few hands. Let me tell you something. Um, I think that about church all the time. <laughs> that might surprise you. I, I think to myself, man, the problem is, the problem, one of the big problems of the church is it's just full of flipping hypocrites. Now, how do you think I know that? Because <laughs> I'm one of them. Thank you. That is exactly, yeah, move away from Jen because the lightning is about to hit that seat right there. We're into smiting here and the Lord will smite. That's right. I know that the church is full of hypocrites because I know that I'm one of them. And I'm professionally religious. (laughs) It just means that I'm aware of my own hypocrisy so acutely. And that leads to a really interesting question for me, and that is, what's gone wrong with us as human beings that we manage to mess everything up, like even church, even religion, even really good stuff, we still have this extraordinary ability to mess stuff up, don't we? All the time. You'd, You'd think we'd have learned, wouldn't you? You'd think we'd have learned, but it's there everywhere. So uh, this week, as Byron said, we have lots of people coming to the office. This week, I'm sitting at the front desk. Anytime you want to chat to me, just pop in. I'm normally sitting there. I'm, I'm trying to work on a sermon. I'm thinking great thoughts, um, or at least moderately non-boring thoughts. And uh, a lady walks into the front and starts talking to me, and, and she's pretty distressed, She's very smart, very articulate, and she's talking, and, and she comes in because she wants to get a Bible uh, from us, okay? So, so we're talking about the Bible, and then uh, another lady walks in, and they're about the same age, and we start talking, and, and I, I spent the next hour and a half talking to these two amazing women. One was a, an academic, the other was an investment banker, and now a, a consultant, smart, strong thoughtful women who are standing in the front of our church office talking to me because one, one, one of them, their partner is in jail serving a term for trying to strangle her and the other is in a massive custody battle because of the DV of her partner and they're fighting over the kids. And I'm like, this is just chaos. Why? I mean, these are smart, educated affluent people, our neighbors who are here, and after 40, 50 years of, uh, of, well, actually 120 years of feminism, which isn't a bad thing at all, let me tell you, and, and the relentless push for advocating the way women should be treated in this post-sexual revolution in the 60s, and equality, 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 which is a good thing, don't hear me wrong, it's a good thing, but even after all of this, we still have this evil. Even our most intimate relationships, we manage to mess things up. Like, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? Right? It's, a, it's a remarkable human tendency. Um, I have a friend that 
I have a friend. Uh, that's a wonderful case. Yeah, thanks. That feels good. I just thought I'd get that out there. Only one, uh, and he's in Canada, and it's sad. Anyway, he was uh, in the GFC. He ran a big chunk of, um, he came to our church. He ran a big chunk of one of the big Canadian banks, investment banking businesses in, in the UK, so their capital markets. He ran all of that. And he watched the whole GFC train wreck in the 2000s and, and all the malfeasance that went on and the evil. And he watched how everybody got away scot-free. And then he kind of came to faith and he moved out of banking. And uh, he's now a, uh, a regulator in Canada. And he's done all this study over the last 10 years on financial services regulation. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And, and you know the thing he's discovered is the more regulations you put on people, the better they behave. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not true, is it? Like, you know, you put a human, you put a rule or a regulation there, and what there is something in us that does what? Yeah, we just find a way around it, don't we? All the time. I mean, in all sorts of ways. We, we sort of know what the right thing to do is but there's something in us that makes it very hard to do. And this is not a new problem, and it's not just your problem, though I want to suggest it is your problem and it is my problem, but it's not a new problem because this is exactly what Jesus was addressing with the religious leaders of his day. Now listen, they get into uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They, they, they are portrayed very often in our contemporary church culture as the baddies, but they're not. These were people who were very, very, very serious about faith. And they were trying to work really hard to help people serve God and love God and be God's people. They were, they were really working hard at that. But you know what their key problem was? Their key problem was they had doubled down on regulations as a way to change behavior. And all they discovered is when you double down on regulations, as we've seen in the GFC, as we see in our own lives, that regulations and external constraint doesn't actually typically solve the problems it's designed to solve. In fact, given the perversity of the human heart, we can take the regulations that are designed to solve a problem and use those same regulations to make the problem a whole lot worse, which is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had done, right? And uh, this, was, this is the, the situation they're in. They had uh, all these laws and regulations and traditions that were designed to teach them. And there's a lot here about washing, right? You look at it there. there I love this. Uh, very specific, right? They, um, Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands properly. So the food was, their, their hands were defiled, so the food was defiled. Um, and the Pharisees observed many traditions, such as washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. When you read uh, the Jewish law, there's a lot about washing. They're washing stuff all the time. You're washing yourself. You're going through mikvahs all the time. Why? Well, regulations are given to teach people that there is a clean, pure, holy God Actually, and we all, every human culture acknowledges that, actually. When you scratch beneath the surface, we all, there's a deep sense, there's a pure holy God, and, and there's a deep sense in us that we're all messed up. And these uh, purity laws are given to them to remind them all the time, clean God, dirty people, you need cleansing, isn't it wonderful? God will cleanse you and accept you. And all the rituals were designed to, to help you understand that. 
problem was the Pharisees had, had, had obsessed about the regulations and they'd gone, the thing is the rules. <laughs> and they'd managed to twist the rules. And a big problem, according to Jesus, was not a new problem. It's a problem that he predated even the Pharisees 2,000 years ago. It goes back to the prophet Isaiah. He said, hey, listen, the problem is not with the rules per se. The problem is what you do with them, and this is it. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, what's the real problem with religion? What's the real problem in our marriages and in our relationships? What's the real problem with financial services regulation? What's the real problem? It's our hearts. It's our hearts. Right? So Jesus then says, okay, Pharisees, let me show you how bad your hearts are. It's not just about how you wash your hands. Let me show you what you actually do. And he holds up a mirror to them, and it's a little brutal. And this is what he says. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So he says, you're so perverse that to get what you want, you'll actually even corrupt God's law. And he he uses the story of, uh, you know, from uh, Moses said, verse 10, honor your father and your mother. It's part of the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments. This is like written into the very fabric of Jewish culture, like massively important, so important that if you broke this, if you didn't look after your mom and dad, you got killed, right? That's the law. So what do you think the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did? Well, here's the law. Let me find a workaround. And the workaround is this. Looking after mum and dad costs money, right? Money's in short supply. I want my money to look after me. So here's the deal. I say, well, all my money is korban. All my money is devoted to God. If it's devoted to God, then it belongs to God, and he'll get it when I die. And I don't have to look after mum and dad with the money. It's pretty clever, hey? And it's particularly clever if you're a priest in the temple because you can't give your money to support mum and dad, but what can you do with the money? Ah, you can give it to the temple to support the priests. So it's win-win. You get to keep your money. The priests get a slice of it. And, well, it's actually not really win-win because your mum and your dad might starve to death. But you found a rule. You found a workaround. That's awful, isn't it? That's just evil. Why? What's, what's the problem? And actually, he says, you do many things like that. He says, I'll show you what happens when you double down on laws. What you see is, is this, this thing inside us, this problem with our hearts. And Jesus goes, in case you didn't get it from Isaiah, let me tell you again. Uh, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. And I, I kind of, as I was preparing this, I have the sense now that Jesus is here, right? Imagine this, Jesus here, and he's saying, hey, listen to me, guys. Listen to me, you inner west-dwelling, rich, affluent, got-it-all-together people who are just the same as every person has ever been with all the tendencies and twistedness in your heart. Listen to me and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them So what he's saying is this, listen, 
laws, regulation, external observance, this isn't actually what will make you acceptable to God or unacceptable. This isn't what will save your life or lose your life. The real issue for you and the real issue for me, what shapes the destiny and the structure of my life is what comes from inside. That's it. That's it. All the laws and the good intentions in the world won't make any difference if what's coming out of here is polluted and corrupt and selfish. Now, that's hard to understand because, and it's revolutionary. And if you find it hard to understand, it's because it is. The disciples struggled with that, right? It's massively counterintuitive because all of Jewish history and actually most ethical thought was all about, you know, I work my way uh, to, to God, to holiness, to purity. And we live life from the outside in. Life happens to us. And Jesus says, no, 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 life comes from inside out, right? Another way of putting it is, listen, um, you, don't, you don't commit domestic violence because you yourself weren't parented properly, because your spouse made you angry, because you'd had too much to drink. You commit domestic violence because in your heart you're a murderer, right? That's what it is. That's what, and that's hard to understand, right? We don't like to think like that. Well, no, we're not. But Jesus says it's really hard. And his disciples didn't get it. And they asked him about this parable, and he goes, you are deeply spiritually insightful people. Are you so dull? He says, let me spell it out for you again. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. So he's saying, foods, external regulations and performance, that won't change you. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside. Wow. Okay. I'll tell you another way of putting it. Uh, the real problem with your heart and my heart, the real problem in the world why we mess up is that from the inside out, we love the wrong things. It's a problem with what we love and love is of the heart. So what do I mean by that? Uh, here's a Sunday school test for those of you, or a catechism, those of you who, uh, or if you grew up in an Anglican church reciting the liturgy, uh, how does Jesus summarize uh, the law? What is, when Jesus is asked, what's the summary of the law? How do you summarize what it is to be truly human? What have you got to do? You got to do what? Love God. So I love God 100%. Oh, you guys are good. Love, uh, unlike my handwriting, love your neighbor, really importantly, as yourself. Now, of course, <laughs> you remember when Jesus told this and he, he, people immediately said, well, who's my neighbor? Well, listen, that, that's just, the, don't try and find a workaround. Your neighbor is anyone you come across, right? Like, that's just it. They're your neighbor. Don't, you know, um, move to a nicer area to get neighbors who are nicer to love. Uh, that doesn't work. It's not the point of this. Now, if you love God, 
if you love God and you say, the fundamental core of my being is I want to love God and if I love someone, I'm going to please them, I'm going to treasure them and value them more than anything else. And then you can't love God without also loving the people around you as yourself. Now, uh, hear this. We need to love ourselves, okay? And take care of ourselves. It's really important. And some, some, of us have, some of us have real problems with that. For example, uh, people are more likely to fulfill the prescriptions for their pets than for themselves. Uh, so sometimes we really do struggle to take care of ourselves in some fairly obvious ways. But... But actually, we spend an enormous amount of time thinking about ourselves, taking care of ourselves, advancing our own interests. And what Jesus says is, if you really want to know what it is to be truly human, you have to love God with the totality of your being and then pay as much attention to the good of everyone you meet as you do to your own good. To be as concerned for the flourishing of everyone around you as you are for yourself. And that's what it is to love them. To, to walk around the world and go, you know, as much effort as I put into me, I'm going to put into you. I'm going to think as well of you as I do of me. I'm going to make sure you get listened to as much as I want to get listened to. I'm going to make sure that your basic needs are met in just the same way that I make sure that my basic needs are met. That's... That's what Jesus says. That's what we're meant to love, right? So he says, what's the problem? The fundamental problem with the human heart is we don't do that. But instead, who do we love? Ourselves. This is the problem. We love ourselves. And there's a great Latin phrase for this that the Augustine first introduced. Um, uh, and it comes into English, it's concupiscence. Isn't that great? Here's a new word for you, concupiscence. And what does concupiscence mean? It's self-love. It's a drive for self-satisfaction that says, in the end, my needs are primary. And, and this is why we twist every external law and regulation. If fundamentally, what drives me is me, I'm always going to find workarounds to get what I want. So, uh, that's the problem. Uh, here's what uh, Thomas Cranmer, the, one of the key architects of Anglicanism as we know it, said. He said this, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Can I get an amen to that? That's it, hey? What you love, you're going to choose, and then your mind's going to justify it. Right? So let's have a look at this vice list uh, that Jesus talked about. Um, where's it gone? All the sins. I left my glasses down the back. Is it there? There we go. You see, I, I just, I can't see sin, right? I'm just at this new spiritual plane. <laughs> Uh, sexual immorality. What's going on with sexual immorality, right? Well, concupiscence, self-love. You say, I will get what I want. God says I shouldn't. And, and I should never take advantage of someone else. should never misuse them. But I will, because I want what I want. 
Uh, Self-love is what's behind the tragedy of the Me Too movement. I read this, it's extraordinary. I read this great article on, uh, on sexual assault, on, on the reality of sexual assault by feminist men. So this woman who said, you know, I, she, she works in, you know, in an inner city and she dates men who are wonderfully feminist and pro-women and pro-equality. Except till it comes how they treat individual women. <laughs> and then what they want, what they want, right? Concupiscent, sexual immorality. I want what I want. I'm going to find a workaround, right? It's, and it's the meat, it's, you know, well, you know, was there enthusiastic consent all the time? How do we find rules and regulations to negotiate this? And, well, you, you can't because you're always going to have a workaround if your heart loves you, what your heart loves and then you'll want it and then you'll justify it and you'll destroy other people. How about, um, let's pick another one, greed. Now, I know none of us here struggle with greed, so we'll just think about maybe, I don't know, the people in Double Bay. Uh, they, I'm sure they struggle with greed. None of us do. What's greed? Say, so I, I've got to get resources to secure my well-being. And I'm going to think about, I'm going to make sure I get what I need and what I want to secure my well-being, even at the expense of other people getting what is rightfully theirs. That's what I want. Now, I want it, I choose it, I justify it, and I call it, you know, negative gearing. I don't know, whatever you want. Uh, what about, I don't know, pick, a, pick one. What about envy? Now, envy is a very ugly emotion. We really struggle to own it and acknowledge it, but it's there everywhere. In Australia, we call it what? The tall poppy syndrome. So what's envy? Envy says, I love me, and me needs to get ahead, and, and me is about me. So envy, when, when I love me, I look at your success, and your success makes me feel bad about me. <laughs> so I hate it, and I criticize you, and I pull you down, and I long for you to be pulled down because I'm about me. Now, if I actually live in the way of Jesus, then I'm going to love you just as much as I love you. So when you succeed, what am I going to do? I'm going to take as much joy in your success as I do in my own success. I'm going to, I'm going to try and help you succeed in just the same way that I would try and help me succeed. Isn't that amazing? And when you, when you fail and when you fall and when you're cut down, I'm not going to rejoice in that. I'm going to weep with you because that's how I'd be feeling if it happened to me. And so I'm going to be that close to you. Uh, slander, arrogance, folly, all of this comes from a life that is fundamentally oriented around love of self. Now, what's the solution? Jesus, thanks, Kath. Yeah, do you know what? The solution is our hearts have to change, right? You've got to change what you love at the core of your being. And that's a great problem. 
We all know we have a problem, and actually many of us in our society are deeply concerned to change, but we don't know how to do it. Let me tell you, can I tell you, uh, what is the single strongest predictor of which of you will buy a self-help book in the next six months? I can predict that there's one thing that will give me a very strong indicator that you will purchase a self-help book in the next six months. Do you know what that would be? Guess what it is? What, sorry? You bought one last time. That's exactly right. If you bought a self-help book in the last six months, it's the single strongest indicator you're going to buy one in the next six months. Why? Because it doesn't work. It's a great industry to be in. I'm thinking of getting into it myself. Well, it sort of works. That's the problem. It sort of works, right? But self-help, our contemporary self-help industry, is really just the same as the Pharisees doubling down on external regulation. It's good as far as it goes, but guess what? It's a crushing burden because it doesn't change our hearts. So the great news of Christianity is what? God gives us a new heart. If you're, you're here today... The great news for you and for me is that God looks at our hearts and he says, I can do something about that heart of yours, Mark. I can change what's in there. How so? Well, he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and die for you so that... I'll die your death so that you can live my life with my heart. Jesus exchanges, takes the consequences of our heart and gives us the consequences of his heart. What do I mean by that? Listen, the inevitable end point of all concupiscence, of self-love, the inevitable destination for all of us when we live for ourselves is, the, is chaos and death, isn't it? I mean, I saw that in the office this week, chaos, when you live for yourself. But death is the end point, ultimately. If you try and make life work by yourself, you're gonna end up dying. And what God says is, I don't want you in that place. So he comes in the person of his son, Jesus, and he says, I'm gonna walk that road as the one truly innocent who's always only loved God and loved neighbor herself. And Jesus says, I'll stand in your place. I'll stand and take the death that is the end point of your choices, and then I'll rise again and I'll do all of that so that I can pour into you my life and my spirit and my heart. Christianity in the first instance is not so much getting you and I into heaven, is it? In the first instance, Christianity is about getting heaven into us. Because what is heaven? Heaven is the place where God's will is done. What is God's will? That we love God totally and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer that we pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's the first thing, the great news of Christianity is Jesus says, I've come into this world and I've gone to hell so that heaven can get into you. So that my heart, my life, my spirit, my power, my energy, that it is always totally, completely aligned to the will of God. This can be breathed into you. And heaven will take up residence in you. So that you can love God and you can love your neighbor. How do you get that? You don't get it by rules and regulation. 
you get it firstly by taking a fearless inventory of the concupiscence, the perversity, the selfishness in your own heart. It's the beauty of the 12 Steps program. It comes out of Christianity. It says if you're going to recover from your addiction, first thing you've got to do is be brutally honest. Brutally honest. And then in your brutal honesty, you cry out to God and you say, give me a new heart because I can't do it myself. I can't change myself. Can't make myself new. The more I try, the deeper I dig myself into a hole, actually. So Jesus, give me a new heart. Bring heaven in here. Have you done that? Have you done that? You're living a life where you're trying to manage just the externals. You're hoping you can find some rules or some advice. No, no. Christianity is not self-help. It's inner change. And then if you've done that, what you've got to do is train this new heart that you have to love God and love neighbor as yourself. Got to train it. Got to work at it. Take this new being. And that's why we come to church. That's why we're here, to train our hearts to love God and love the neighbor. That's why we go to small groups, to train our hearts, this new heart that we've got. That's why we do the spiritual disciplines we do. We read the Bible, we fast, we give our money away, we serve the poor, we practice silence and solitude and stillness. We do these things to train our hearts to say, no, no, this new being that we have inside of us, this is about loving God and loving other people. Now let's train that and hone that and make that more and more who we are. Is that you? Because that's Jesus' plan for the church. That's his plan for your life. Let's pray. Come on in, kids. Come on in. Join us as we wrap up. Feel free. You can walk in front of it. They're all looking shy now. There we go. Okay, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. I pray that you will give us new hearts and that you will train our hearts that we can love you with every fiber of our being, and we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And I pray for our church that you will free us from concupiscence, <laughs> from hypocrisy, and that you will breathe your life into us, and you will change us. And then, Lord, as we go out into this world, may we make the world a better place because we love others just how we love ourselves. May our workplaces be better. May our homes be better. May our communities be better. May our schools be better. May our city be a better place because heaven is in our hearts and from our hearts it flows into this world. In Jesus' name we pray.